This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Salamat pagi, Jan. And that's it. That's Indonesian for good morning. Oh, well, thank but you very much. That's a hint of what's to come. But you've got a guest. I do have a guest. Then the last time this author was with us, it was with a very different book and writing style. Justine Sless took us on a historic walk on the topic of female stand-up comedians. She is back with slightly less humour, but more inside with measured silk and other stories. Welcome back, Justine. Thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me. Now, your 14 stories in this collection are intimate glimpses of everyday people. You have a sharp eye for detail. Do you just sit around neighbourhoods and shopping malls and taking notes? Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) There are characters and moments and settings that just stay with me. And I think as a writer, you've got to kind of pay attention a lot and know when that detail or that moment is something that you could craft into a larger narrative. Well, the first story, Stage 5, where is it set? Mm. (laughs) It's set in the far northern suburbs of Melbourne on um, a master plan community and it's called Stage 5 because cancer normally has four stages, but Stage 5 is like a catastrophic state of ill health, societal ill health. Oh, see the depths. I didn't pick that <laughs> one up at all. So it's yeah. also the problems of isolation out there yeah. and perfection in a family mm. at what cost. Mm. We also this, see this isolation in at home in another where an older woman mm. who now has an overhead railway mm. platform behind her in her backyard, she waves to somebody else on a train. Mm. So she's isolated. Mm. And who does she wave to? She waves to a woman who who watches this overpass being built every day. And this woman is on her way to work. She works in a library. And it is that momentary connection between the two when they wave together, which I try to capture the idea of progress in inverted commas of all of these overpasses going up in Melbourne and I would go on that overpass to work and I think I bet somebody's house is cracking or falling down and nobody's paying attention to that and Nan is a woman who I knew and it's just one of those characters that I've just kept close to son I knew uh, Glenn and that family and I wrote the story for a long time trying to work out how the two would connect what would make them connect um, and it's just momentary and I guess that's the thing about the book is that it's a meditation on loneliness and connection and how just those moments in a day when you might say hello to somebody on the street or in a shop might be the only time somebody has spoken all day. Loneliness and you actually put your own question, is there a collective noun for loneliness? (laughs) Mm. Look, even in marriages, there is loneliness. Husbands not doing enough. Now, let's, you're going to read here about Darren. Oh, listen to this one. Uh, So this is the story, Every Angle. Um, And Grace and Darren have been married for a while. They have four children. And this is Grace's uh, sort of narrative on Darren. So she says, uh, 
When he mowed the lawns, took out the bins or sporadically hung out some washing, he would always announce that the task was completed. And if Grace didn't acknowledge his efforts, he would sulk. And when she asked him to do more around the house, he insisted that most of the mess belonged to the kids. So she should ask them to step up, not him. <laughs> yes, that's it. We don't like Darren. <laughs> I think everybody doesn't like Darren. In this marriage, the wife is sick of not being seen mm. and, you know, her four children, as you say. Mm. And you take us in a way, in this very short story, mm. that I think she's going to have an affair. Mm. That's the whole setup. Because I'm a comedian, I love the idea of setting a, a joke or a story up on something that you think, oh, yeah, I know where this is going and then I'll take you somewhere and that unexpected and it took a long time to work out what the unexpected was in this story initially she was going to go to a hotel and write um, I'm not going to do any mm. spoiler alerts here the premise of the story is is about women's body image and the the devastation many women feel about their bodies after the birth of their children and the the neglect and the huge amount of domestic engineering they need do in order to maintain everything Children are aware of unhappy marriages. In Stone, one of the mm. short stories, a daughter works for her father in a legal practice. Mm. What does she read about before it gets shredded? What kind of legal practice is it? Oh, it's a family law practice. Mm. And she's there shredding the files on a hot summer's day and the air con is on. And she just kind of shred files and then intermittently just grabs sheets of paper out of files and look, looks at them. And one file she pulls out a picture of a bruised body part and the ham-fisted sort of hands mm -hmm. of the man next to that image. And it chills her more than the, the air conditioning but the point of that is is that's where the connection begins with all of the stories. So all of the stories are linked through themes, characters, objects, settings, subtly. But again, it plays into the idea, in fact, that we are all connected. Um, and those moments of connection can be either beautiful or full of despair. Well, we follow another mm. story. And uh, Andrew, the family law mm. practice person, mm. is in the silk. And mm. so there's the connection between these two characters. But we're on the side of the client, mm. the female in this, who has uh, written eloquently vitriolic emails mm. in her legal fight to monetary mm. compensation. Mm. And... The collective noun for barristers? <laughs> I can't remember. The, what it fortune, of the fortune of barristers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then again, we hope that uh, this, the grandma, who's very good at crocheting little baby dresses mm. because she's going to have grandchildren mm. soon, we hope she uses his services in family law. Mm. What's her problem? Again, I don't want to do a spoiler alert. Uh, we 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 meet Mary on a suburban street, and to all intents and purposes, she's going out to get a cup of coffee, and mm. her day unfolds and how she needs to fill that day up as a result of what's happened at home. Too proud or too embarrassed? Yeah. yeah. Shame and fear, 
and embarrassment and uh, and pride. Mm. Yeah. Other connections. Keith. Well, we meet Keith mixing with a drug and alcohol group, mm. two of which have a baby. Mm. And then there's Keith's brother, Davey. Mm. He's got an unusual obsession. Now, that's how we meet him. So what, did, what does he do? Davey eats a packet of Gaiety biscuits, which are um, triangular wafer biscuits covered in chocolate. And I actually observed this person. I thought you might have. It was such a practice choreography. So I went home and I repl like I did that. So I put the biscuits in my hands, how he was doing it, so I could understand what was happening. And the more I looked at him, the more I wondered. Often when I see people, it's I always think, what's their story? Mm. And I looked at David and I watched him eat this packet of biscuits, and I thought. There's a really strange and sad story there. Davy goes to a shopping mall in Brunswick every week and eats these biscuits in this story. Mm. And then uh, we hear about his little brother, Keith. Yes. And then, in a completely different story, mm. when Keith is gone, Davy leaves the biscuits, you know, yeah, Keith's lot of biscuits, thing. on the seat. Mm. And who picks them up? Mm. So this is a woman in the same shopping mall who collects things in her trolley who I've observed and there's something very, uh, I, I, I just wanted to get the idea that somebody who collects things in a, in a trolley in a shopping mall actually has an interiority. It's not, it's not what we see, what manifests, whatever their story is, whether it's homelessness or melt, mental illness or whatever their story is, but it's like the importance uh, for them of those possessions in that trolley and her interaction briefly with Davy, who eats the biscuits. Well, she does this circuit mm. around the shopping mall and she also hears the couple make a decision mm. on whether to spend the baby money mm. on bibs and bobs for the baby or more alcohol mm. that we meet in a completely mm. different story. She also sees how incapable one of the fathers is of looking after his three children. Mm. But I had... Had we met the woman who dropped the tomatoes before? No. Oh, I didn't think we... <laughs> no. no. She had a sad story mm. to tell too. Mm. <laughs> it's not even... It's not just some of the characters that are connected, but there's a piece of furniture. Yeah. So, um, a friend of mine told me about a piece of furniture. If they're listening, they know who they are. They bought a piece of furniture... Uh, I think they found it on the side of the road and then they, uh, I think they put it back on the side of the road and then it reappeared really like, like at an overpriced kind of uh, warehouse, kind of vintage <laughs> shop. And my daughter, one of my daughters uh, had one of these paintings that we had, which I talk about in Stone, Tamara de Limpica. Mm. And I was at her house in Anglesey and she said, let's go to the op shop. And that painting was in the op shop. She was like, oh, I hated that painting. And I loved the idea of objects appearing and reappearing in our lives. Again, the idea of connection that when we buy a second-hand item, it's already had a life of its own. It's already seen a story play out. 
Um, and so that object, the red couch, appears and reappears throughout. Like some of the characters, like mm. Grace, one of the kids yeah. from uh, the first story, Stage yeah. 5, has her own family now. Mm. And in that story, there are footnotes. <laughs> they explain surface control surface and control. why yeah. a self-catering holiday is a fool's paradise. Yeah. Oh, you've got to read the footnote. So this lack of connectedness is a theme. Mm. But what if the whole world was disconnected? Mm. So did that one you write through COVID? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, the, so uh, measured was really about uh, being being at home suddenly and and working virtually working mm. in you know from home and and I I managed a team of people in covid and and you knew everybody's stories were different and very complex for them and seeing them on screen I'd never met these people and really what was going on in their lives because we were all in each other's living rooms or wherever but in a virtual way and how surreal that was and 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 that lady Andrea um, how that played out for her and how acutely lonely and desperate she was but the interplay sorry the interplay with this was um, I'm very interested in how uh, governments deal with the epidemic of loneliness and so I read a lot about the Minister for Loneliness work in the UK and ending loneliness together uh, work in Australia which is uh, headed up or supported by Andrew Giles who's the Minister for um, Immigration. I'm interested in the political response to that very personal state of what loneliness is, how we cope with it, how it feels. On, well, I'm glad you left us on a funny note, a surprising note in Ask. I really liked what Neil did at the very end. So at the heart of many of Justine Sless's short stories is the lack of connection between people. In Measured, Silk and other stories, there is keen observation by characters, but it is the loneliness that people feel and their inability to voice it that gives these stories a potency. Thank you so much, Justine. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Well, now it's going to be um, David's turn and his author. We were just changing microphones there, so that's fine. There is an intergenerational legacy, a tie of blood between women that transcends time and even geography in Dias Novita Wuri's novel, Birth Canal. So, Dias, welcome to 3CR. Thank you, David. Now, the Very first, glad to be here. The first character we are introduced to here is Nastiti, but she's gone missing. What has happened to her? What's her background? Well, she went missing because she just tried to find a, a place for herself to have an abortion because as you know, or maybe you don't know yet, but in Indonesia as a Muslim majority country, abortion is completely illegal. So a lot of women uh, have to do it secretly and dangerously. And that's what my character did in this first chapter. But you provide us with an image yes. here of a photograph. And I've seen photographers on the streets of Jakarta and the backdrop of, of Jakarta, the sort of derelict parts of Jakarta and beautiful women being photographed. But you've got uh, an image here besides 
I suddenly also saw the photo on the coffee table. It was another Nastiti, this time in black and white, outlined by a white wooden rectangle, white to match everything else in that compact minimalist apartment, the man's work that no one had ever exhibited or reviewed because it was made privately for Nastiti. The photo was a close-up. She dominated the entire frame, even though her hands were covering her face. In the photo, she protested and turned away, but she displayed it where anyone could see it. And you're getting this sense of a duality yeah. in Nastiti. Is that yeah. what you intended here? Yes, absolutely. Also, I think I, I also have that duality in my next character, um, Rukmini, uh, who, you know, who experiences such a traumatic event during the war, and then uh, sh she explained to her daughter, Arini, um, it was intended to be a secret at first, but then she had to, she wanted to explain. But at the same time, she didn't want to explain so much as well. Well, people are divided all the time. Just to get back to Nastiti, this story, her story, yeah. is actually narrated by a male friend yeah. of hers. Yeah. And it's a sense, and, and Nastiti's experience actually affects him. Um, because it's a sort of unrequited love. Yeah. But what does this cause him to do? Well, uh, in the end, Nastiti left everything. Uh, she cut contact with him after a lifetime of friendship. And um, he, uh, as a result, he, he was in a relationship with a woman, but uh, uh, deep inside he was in love with Nastiti. So when everything was over with Nastiti, um, the friendship was over, She also, he also ended the relationship with the woman that he was about to marry. So Nastiti's experience has actually also influenced yes. this man who's narrating the story. That then, as you say, leads into Rukmini. Yeah. Now, here in this section of the novella, you're almost going into the history yep. of Indonesia. And this is where we get this intergenerational legacy that the women have to bear. So... You've got the Portuguese that first came to yeah. Indonesia. What was happening there? What was the result there? Well, we, we got the Portuguese and then uh, the, the Dutch came. And then uh, for a short time, we also had the English. And of course, uh, the Dutch was there for the longest time, for three and a half centuries, according to us. And uh, during that time, uh, a lot of things happened. And uh, for example, a colonial man, they took Indonesian wives or Indonesian concubines. And uh, my character is a result of those kind of marriage. Well, not marriage, because they're not legally married. Um, those kind of relationship between a white uh, colonial con colonialist and a, and a pre-boomy woman. But that leads to this sense of identity, yeah. where you belong. Yes. And that connection crosses generations yeah. as well. But then you have the Japanese coming in during World War II. Yeah. And there are consequences there as well. Yes. The, uh, the Japanese um, came to the, to the occupied countries like Indonesia or Philippines and uh, they took these women as uh, comfort women, Jugun Yanfu, um, because they were, of course, they were, uh, it also was a, a form of control uh, against the occupied country. They, they raped the women and they, um, they locked the women in. And, but of course, Nastiti is only one of many. 
and uh, sorry, um, Rukmini was only one of many, um, and in the end, uh, she got pregnant by a by a military a high high ranking military official, and she gave birth to the baby. But then you should read it to find out what happened. Well, you can't. We can't give it away. But there are consequences. Women are having to bear this burden. Yes. Uh, of military occupation, of colonial occupation, of male aggression yep. uh, there as well. Yep. But the story is told uh, by Nastiti's mother. Yeah. I'm just wondering how much we can give away here as well. Uh, are you, can we or not? I think so, yeah. I think uh, this relationship is very important, this uh, female legacies and family and trauma. Nasiti's mother is Rukmini's daughter, and uh, Nasiti had has this um, trouble in the first chapter, and her mother doesn't know anything about it. Meanwhile, uh, her mother's mother has this trauma in the past, and Nasiti doesn't know anything about it. And it's it, well intergenerational trauma. Yeah. There's been an accident in the first section with Nasiti yeah. for which she feels guilt. Her father dies in a car accident. Yeah. And yet, Nastiti's not aware of necessarily the history of her parents, yeah. but she's bearing the guilt yes. in some way. Yes. So yes. it crosses generations. We meet Hannah next, but it's through the eyes of a United States Navy war photographer. Yes. We are in Japan. Um. Now, there's a couple of interesting things. You do, in fact, return to this image of the darkroom. And this United States Navy war photographer, again, hasn't been given a name. But he's done something um, which he profoundly regrets. Yeah. And um, the image of the darkroom mm -hmm. almost becomes a womb. You're using photography and the dark room again in this manner. I'm sorry, he mutters to the shadow of the woman. I'm sorry, please forgive me. He lets his hands move by themselves without thinking. Now Hannah will be reborn on a sheet of paper through a process of burning. She will be here and she will accept the man's apology. The fifth step, paper on the enlarger board. This time the f-stop is set in the narrowest aperture. The man grits his teeth and begins to burn the paper with light. Yeah. And it's almost like he's trying to rebirth yes. Hannah, if I can say it that way, in order to apologize. Yes, because, yeah, uh, obviously uh, he left Japan with a tremendous sense of guilt. I, it, I wasn't trying to give excuses to this man's action, but when I was writing it, I, I didn't want to present the, the men and the women in such a black and white way. and. Uh, I wanted to call it like a wistful, um, like a wistful thinking that that men can be a bit better. Well, men men can be a bit better, and <laughs> yes. we don't want to uh, be apologists for mm -hmm. the action. But when you look at the fact that this war photographer yeah. has photographed Hiroshima, yes. photographed Nagasaki, he is carrying a burden of trauma. Yes. And the only way he can express it is through aggression. Yes. And therefore, it's not an excuse. But again, it's a transfer of it guilt is. and pain and suffering yep. 
that ultimately the women have to bear. Yes, because the women can be pregnant. The women can be raped. Not saying men cannot be raped, but uh, if you do something to women, there's a long-lasting mark that uh, that doesn't usually happen to men, like a physical mark and uh, just a, a, a longer consequences for us women. Mm longer consequences at yeah. the same time there is still a, a, a trauma there that yeah. the photographer wasn't responsible for but he's got no outlet yes for it That's true. Um, but also then Hannah uh, her husband her Japanese husband he's come back from the war yeah. what's his difficulty he has no arms anymore he lost both arms in the war and uh, he was back as a different person a completely traumatized person and of course, during the war, he did his own terrible thing to the women in his in the occupied lands of Japan. So there, there is this ongoing yes. trauma across countries, across generations, in both men and women, women yeah. uh, which is not to excuse it, but um, it starts to paint this broader picture yes. of what's taking place. Finally, we have... Dara, who's contemplating suicide, and her situation, where is she, and why is she struggling? So she is now living in Osaka with an Indonesian husband who doesn't really care, but the reason they married was just to have kids and, you know, have a stable life like everybody wants to experience, and uh, while her husband isn't really in love with her, he, he is obsessed with this Japanese porn star online. And as a result, she became obsessed with her as well. And this Japanese porn star uh, committed suicide. And uh, it goes in the same same line of time that they are both really depressed, but uh, for different reason. And, and Dara is really struggling to conceive. And yeah. And, but yes. But he's looking, he's found an outlet. Her husband has found yeah. an outlet, um, inappropriate or otherwise. Uh, she hasn't got one, no. really. Yeah. And she's only left with this notion of, um, well, the thought in her head then is suicide because she can't fulfil the role, the expectation, the promise yeah. um, that is there uh, that she expects. But you also touch on this question of life and conception. Um, she had read, according to Aristotle, a fetus has a soul at the age of 40 days for boys and 90 days for girls. According to the Catholic Church, the fetus has been human since fertilization. Medically, this can be determined based on a variety of different factors. By law, it's determined according to when the fetus can survive outside the womb. And there are various sub-things under it. None of it is sensible. But isn't this baby nothing just adorable nonetheless? And it's this notion of that conception of life and that that life is not just in a baby or a child, but in the life we imagine for ourselves. Yep. That these women, Nastiti, Nastiti's mother, Rukimi, are all trying to find for themselves against this backdrop of war, aggression, over which they have no control. No, yeah. And um, my idea was that... Um the war happened and it affected both Indonesia or um, the Netherlands and also Japan as well because uh, we have the modern time in Osaka where 
you know, uh, it's a very, Japan is a very um, polite society, but at the same time, they also have this um, web of prostitution or like uh, adult video industry. It's really successful and it's really kinky. So I just, I just wanted to talk about, you know, this double um, layers. Well, there's a double standard. Double standards. Yeah. Um, but this is sort of an imposition of society yeah. saying one thing. Yeah. As you said, with this nonsense of when life is conceived, yeah. that life is being lived now and the trauma seems to be ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, we're finding ways to articulate who we are. There's a disassociation across the generations. All of that seems to be coming out in your novella, Birth Canal. Quite a confronting thing, I may say, for a, a man to talk about in many ways because there's the imagery of blood there as well and um, not just photography. So, Dias, thank you very much for coming in to talk to us today. It's been Thank you great. for this opportunity. I'm very happy to be here. That takes us out. Yes, Jan. it does. It does. So, and I was talking with Justine Sless about her book, Measured Silk and Other Stories. It's the dedication in this book. You know, short stories can be very short. And the dedication said, to Jane across the street, our lives were less lonely when you were there. I tell you what, that's a short story and a half, isn't yeah. it? Welcome to Published or Not. For over 20 years, we have been talking books. They may be crime, romance, history, short stories or adventure. And we delve a little further. We go into words and writing, character, plot and the whole process of creating a story. The we is, of course... Jan Goldsmith. David McLean and now... Lisa Moore. We are different. Our reading interests are different. But each week we will be with an author who wants you to hear about their book. And that's here on Published or Not. So, let's meet some authors. Street.